Hello and welcome to Tales from the Bay, a Bay Area which not only hosted a divisional round playoff game, but a winning divisional round playoff game as the San Francisco 49ers 19-12 win over the Dallas Cowboys sees them advance to the conference championship. This Sunday, 8pm in the NFC title game, 49ers in the Lincoln Financial Field to take on the Philadelphia Eagles. And I started this week being relatively negative and I started this week seeing the line and thinking that sounds about right. I might even give the Eagles more points. And as the week has gone on in classic fashion, I've slowly talked myself more and more into it. Uh, I'm Will Gavin. The brilliant Nicholas McGee is with me as well. Uh, Nicholas, how are you feeling up off the back of Sunday? Still buzzing from that Cowboys win? Very much still buzzing and, and relatively calm, as you, as you say that. It's, it's the hope that kind of kills you, but there's, you've got to have hope in life. Otherwise, what's, what's the reason in doing anything? And I think this Niners team has given you plenty of reason for hope as we go into what the game we all wanted and the game we all expected on the NFC side, even if it took a little bit more of an effort than perhaps many thought to get there against the Cowboys. Yeah, I think we'll, let's, we'll start off with that game because... Listen, as far as I'm concerned, I like people are suggesting that they the the overall takeaway from it is one of a relative negativity towards the offense. Like they could have lost that game and Dak played so poorly and everything else. I think first thing is we said last week and I said that I think that the two matchups are bad for the Cowboys. And it proved so on one side of the ball. The the Cowboys' offense matched up horrendously against the 49ers' defense, and we'll get to that in a moment. But I have to hold my hands up and say that I did not expect the performance out of the Cowboys' defense that we got. I thought they were excellent at every level. I thought Leighton Van Der Esch had his best game in a Cowboys' uniform. And yet, even so, I take positives from the fact that they stayed in the game, they did enough, they ground it out, and then in the second half, they had a couple of good long scoring drives where the offense really came together and Brock Purdy made some big plays. So to me, when you're at this stage in the season, that is a good offensive performance. It's going to be rare that against a team in a NFC title game or a divisional round game or a Super Bowl that you're going to get the opportunity to put up 30, 40 points. Yeah, I think the way you look at it in terms of positives on it is that they, they figured it out. The the first half was very Dallas was winning up front. Their defensive line played really, really well. You had Michael Parsons and Marcus Lawrence just flying all over the field. And Niners couldn't really get anything going on the ground, particularly when they went to the outside, the outside zone game, which is obviously so known for. Second half, they really kind of they changed their stripes a little bit, particularly in the run game. Kind of ran it a little bit more at them, more at you runs, kind of more inside zone, and certainly a lot more power and counter runs kind of took away the ability of Demarcus Lawrence and Mike Parsons to fly over the field, kind of got Aaron Bank and Spencer Burford pulling across the formation and got physical and opened up those holes. So Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell had a great game in the second half. And Kyle did a better job of kind of scheming up um, the one-on-ones in the second half. You saw the, the, I think the key example, Greg Olsen highlighted on the third down where they got Brandon Ayuk um, one-on-one with Anthony Barr, which was obviously a complete matchup. But throughout the second half, if you watch the all 22, you can see there was a lot more one-on-one matchups that were favourable for Purdy, whereas in the first half, he was, there was a lot of kind of windows. He wasn't sure whether to throw into them. He wasn't sure to push it downfield. He was kind of a bit gun-shy. But the second half, there was a lot more clearer, defined things in terms of Kittle over the middle or Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk. Or there was a third down completion along one to, to Juwan, Juwan Jennings as well. And, of, of course, obviously, Purdy himself had the the improvised juggling uh, completion to George Kittle, which kind of sparked everything in the second half. But it was kind of, a, an offensive perspective, it was kind of figuring it out. And that's why I think 
you take great confidence in Kyle Shanahan as a play caller. I mean, okay, we were frustrated in the first half. What's what's my counterpunch? And he found the right counterpunches. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, look, the disappointments for me were the um, the the fact that they only got the two field goals off the turnovers, particularly one that happened deep in San Francisco territory. And that is where, you know, you start to wobble and your cheeks start to clench a little bit and you get worried about what the, the opposition are going to do to you. But the... You know, hearing Purdy afterwards, and I know that we bang on about this. I know we keep talking about this, but the maturity yet again when talking about those situations, when discussing how he approached it, when discussing his, you know, him being disappointed that they didn't come away with those opportunities, but they didn't actually, yeah, being disappointed they didn't come away with those opportunities, but sometimes accepting that in the NFL, you've got to take what's in front of you and not do something stupid. And there was a, there was a huge play when I talk about the Cowboys defensive performance, where people got very excited about what Mika Parsons did, where he read a screen and I'm trying to remember who the outlet ball was to, but he read a screen. I think it might've been Debo absolutely to perfection. And instead of cutting up inside and trying to get to Purdy, he got into the passing lane and it was a brilliantly read play, and it was excellent from, mean, yeah, yeah. From, from Micah Parsons. Yeah. But what Purdy did was saw Micah Parsons in the throwing lane, so pulled the ball down, accepted the sack, knew that it gave them an opportunity to you know go and get a field goal still. And that, for me, is a, a, a strength, not a weakness. That's a situation where Jimmy Garoppolo throws it straight into the arms of the guy at the second level, and suddenly we are uh, we're in trouble. Now, at the same time, there were the interceptable passes. Obviously, the Trayvon Diggs, the most clear one, where it was tipped at the line of scrimmage into the arms of the awaiting Diggs. I don't think it was a particularly brilliant coverage play or anything. And those keep coming, and he keeps getting away with them. And I feel like people are almost making too much of a deal of them. And I say that in terms of people get very pointed about those plays. I think every quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, over the last four years as a starter, has more interceptable passes that haven't been picked off than any other quarterback in the NFL. And yet I think if anyone was starting a brand new franchise today and was given pick any player in the NFL to start your franchise with, like 98% of people would pick Patrick Mahomes as the man that they started their franchise with. So... Those, those plays happen, and sometimes you do get lucky and get away with it, and sometimes a, an offensive player makes a play, and so I think that's been maybe made too much of a deal of. But I just, again, it's just his poise, it's his maturity, and there is this question this week, and he has been put up for. We talked about this earlier in the year. I saw when Gridiron tweeted there uh, the, the earlier version of the rookie of the year things. I said I think it's a joke that the people who were nominated were Alave Wilson and, and Kenneth Walker the third. I said that I thought Brock Purdy should be nominated. He might have only had six games, five starts in the regular season, two starts since, and, you know, joins an absolute list of legends in Joe Flacco and Mark Sanchez as rookies who have two wins in the playoffs in their in their rookie season. But the fact is, is that more of an impact in those games with the winning record, with the way that he's handled it, with everything else, than for me... Any of those other players, particularly the wide receivers, who I like Garrett Wilson, I like Chris Olave, but both, I think, have been very up and down this year. Probably had two or three games where they've really flashed. And you think, wow, we've got a hell of a player on our hands. And you can blame the other facets around them, the quarterback throwing to them, the, the offense and everything else. Kenneth Walker probably, I think, has a better argument. But I think if you are going to allow the, the smaller sample size into the conversation in terms of pure impact... 
I think he's my first choice. Yeah, so I think it's an issue of how you frame the award. If you look at him as a rookie MVP, which in essence it probably that's what it is, then it's hard to look away from Purdy because he's kept up the team that's finished with the second seed and two play two home playoff games. Kept not only kept them afloat, but inspired them to a ten game winning streak to end the regular season through a large part through obviously influenced by having the best offensive coordinator in the NFL as his head coach. But he's he's inspired this team to that winning streak. And on the back of his own arm, obviously, he had a great running game, great defense, but he's made these tremendous plays out of structure. He's, he's immediately processed the Kyle Shanahan offense. So, because of him, you know, if if, he, if, we, were, if we were going from Jimmy Garoppolo to Josh Johnson, the season's probably over already. But <laughs> we've gone to Brock Purdy, and he's inspired this winning streak that's now 12 games, could be 13 if they beat the Eagles in, in Philadelphia. And as much as I, I like Garrett Wilson and I like Chris Olave, and they, they are kind of victims of circumstance. If they had better quarterbacks and been on better teams, they might have a, a stronger case. I think if you're treating it as a rookie MVP, it's tough to look away from Purdy, whether that'll actually kind of um, result in a win when it gets the NFL honors in Arizona uh, the week Super Bowl week. We'll 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 see. Maybe some people go with the consistency of, of the two wide receivers, but he certainly has an extremely strong case. And if you're looking at the most valuable, it's tough to argue against him. Just a, a mention to flip it to the 49ers defense and the performance this weekend, and and. Obviously, you know, we've talked a lot about Nick Bosa, Defensive Player of the Year. No sacks in the two playoff games, but still plenty of affecting plays, still plenty of pressure, similar to what I said about that Mika Parsons play where he changes how the play happens down to down. But I heard a a great question on Mina Kimes' podcast to give her another shout-out on this show because it seems to be our (laughs) our stock person. I heard a great question on her podcast with Dominic Foxworth when they were praising Fred Warner and, you know, the nominative defensive rookie of the year for most people, Source Gardner, tweeted after the brilliant coverage play that he had on CD Lamb. The play he had on CD Lamb over the middle where he started in the A gap and then tracked CD Lamb 20 yards downfield to make a pass breakup. And Source Gardner tweeted after that, Fred Warner's just a defensive back playing at linebacker. And, and honestly, I, I, the question that they asked that I'm really struggling to think of another position where it's more true Trent Williams at left tackle might be one of the other options considering we're a 49ers podcast is there like an all pro this year particularly if it's a two position all pro or or an all pro this year where you're looking at the voting where the gap between the first player and the rest of the players is bigger than Fred Warner to the rest of the off-ball linebackers because you could say, all right, Nick Bosa's defensive rookie of the defensive player of the year, but Miles Garrett's been brilliant. Mika Parsons has been brilliant. Hassan Reddick's been brilliant and had one of his best games this weekend. Like, there are other players in that position who have been absolutely sensational. And okay, maybe if you're really going to go into the analytics, you might say that Zach Martin, there's no right guard better than him, which I'm not sure is true. But actually, like, position through position, I think Fred Warner, while he might not be like pound for pound the best football player in the NFL, his performances this year make him easily the best linebacker in the NFL for me. And how multiple he is, I just don't think anyone can do what he does. Yeah, that's that's, that's really an excellent question. I just I pulled up the uh, the hot protein, and then yeah, my mind goes to offensive line. Like it's either Trent or it's Lane Johnson on the other side. But again, the the second team all pro was Tristan Wirfs, and he's a really good right tackle, so the gap's not huge there. Jason Kelsey at centre, maybe best centre in the league still. At, um, whatever age he is now, been doing, doing it for so long. Um, but again, the second team there is Creed Humphrey and he's been great. So it's it's, diff- it's difficult to think of the gap. And as much as I love Matt Milano for the Bills, uh, he can't 
do what Fred Warner did on that play. I don't think there's another linebacker in the league that could do what he did on that play. Like you say, just mugging the front in the A-gap and then dropping out and covering one of the best wide receivers in football. I mean, he doesn't get credit for the pass deflection, but the completion and touchdown doesn't happen because of him. And that was... The linebackers set the tone for the, the entire the entire game. Um, they were looking through some of the best behind-the-scenes um, content the, the, we got from the 49ers this week, and they were, in their, pre, their pre-game huddle, they were calling themselves the best in the world, and they backed it up in a big way. <laughs> Fred Warner proved he's the best linebacker in the world. Dre Greenlaw was excellent. Uh, stupid penalty aside on the drive that um, got a free 15 yards to the Cowboys. Again, I'd be shouting at my TV, but uh, Aziz Alshire was fantastic. Um, great against the run, and then had the hilarious capper of bull rushing as he gets the Kelly. It's honestly mad how often they play with three linebackers on the field. Like how often they play like a, just a straight up old school base defense. They were, they were tremendous. And, and I think it's because those linebackers are so good and you know Fred Warner covers so brilliantly that you kind of go, all right, well, you, where where everyone else will play nickel, we'll play three linebackers and Fred Warner might blitz you, but he also might play in the slot and take out your second best receiver. Like it's it just all over the place. The the back seven for the Niners on Sunday was absolutely tremendous. And it was led by the linebackers, but it wasn't a level of the defense that I was unhappy with watching this game. But they were all in a in way tremendous. Tano found out his best game for weeks. Um, really disciplined in coverage for once. Then none of those busts. Timing his blitzes to perfection. Gibson's continues to be amazing. And Lenore <laughs> attacked again and comes back with the interception. He's kind of proven people wrong very quickly in the playoffs. Javarius Ward wasn't really tested. And then saw so a lot of tweets during the game about the, the defensive line saying, where is Nick, where's Nick Bosa? If you watch the tape back, Nick Bosa was everywhere. He might, might not have had a sack, but he was Tyler Smith on one side and Tyron Smith on the other side were both given absolute hell by Nick Bosa. And the key um, miss on one of the final drives of the Cowboys where he that Prescott has Michael Gallup kind of wide open. He's Gallup's beaten Chiris Ward by a step. Ball's under thrown. The ball's under thrown because that Prescott has to move off his spot to his left because Nick Bosa is bull rushing Tyron Smith into him and that forces a bad throw. Nick Bosa's everywhere in this game and Samson Everett kind of on the other side was brilliant as well. So it, it was just a, probably their best defensive performance since at least when they won the division in Seattle. It was a, a masterclass to watch back. Uh, and you mentioned the kind of coverage stuff. It, uh, Demo Lenore being as good as he was the last two weeks, obviously jumping the route for that, in, that interception was an underthrown ball. There were big questions. And I do think like the Cowboys, you know, if they have Amari Cooper instead of Michael Gallup, are they a much better offense? Absolutely. And Tony Pollard going out of the game, huge problem for them as he's basically their second best receiver as well as being their best running back. So, you know, I don't want to take that away from them and act like this was just a complete shutdown performance. But where Charverius Ward gave up the big play to DK Metcalf and actually two big plays in that in that Seahawks game, he was just completely all over them uh, on uh, on Sunday and made a couple of really good plays downfield. You know, Dalton Schultz might have made two horror mistakes with the not knowing about turning the ball upfield and then not dragging his foot to get out of bounds. But it's partially because he's been beat up for four quarters and he's not been allowed any space and he's not been. And so, you know, sometimes you force errors. Sometimes errors aren't unforced, silly mistakes. Sometimes they are. You've been harassed and harangued so much and put under so much pressure that you, you, you fail to do a fundamental properly. So... Yeah, I, I was very impressed with their performance. I, all in all, I thought they were brilliant. And now we turn our attention to the Eagles this weekend. Um, look, 
Maybe we should take a quick dive down into the locker room first, uh, see who we've got speaking this week, see how the mood is in the camp going into this Eagles game, seeing how everyone's feeling about it. And then me and Nick will have a little look at that Giants game, tell you what we thought about the Eagles this weekend and what we think the 49ers can do coming up. All right, we're here in the Niner locker room with Ray Ray McLeod, and Ray, let's talk about the uh, about the Cowboy game. Uh, you had two, you know, big plays. Obviously, one was a negative, one was a huge positive. Let's talk about the first one. Um, you haven't fumbled all year, man. I mean, how frustrating was that for you? Uh, I mean, it's always frustrating making a mistake. You know, I take pride on that. Uh, not having no turnovers all year, but you know. Unfortunately, it was a time in the game where, I mean, early in the game where, like I said, we could, as a team, we could still overcome it. Uh, my attitude, like always, next play mentality, relentless, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, it happens. Uh, someone like, not myself, probably would have fair called it, but when I'm back there, I'm, I'm trying to score every time. And we have an attitude back there, it comes with, it comes with a cost. Been tremendously consistent this year, and then you backed it up on the next time you touched the ball, you went 53 yards. Tell us, you know, what's going through your mind between the fumble and the next play because there's not, there's only about 15 minutes of time there. Are you standing there on the sidelines cursing yourself? Are you mad at yourself? Are you getting frustrated? Are you staying positive? What's your mindset like in between there before the next play? Next play, before the next time you got a chance to return, I'm saying next play mentality. That's yeah. You know, I mean, it happens over with me doing that. I'm gonna do nothing. Uh, D, uh, Trent, D, uh, the whole defense is like, we got you, whatever. Uh, Trent was like, go make a big play, whatever. That's what I do. I mean, I make plays with the ball in my hand. Uh, shoot, probably 65% or more of my touches probably been big plays. Yeah. 20 plus uh, offense, 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 or punt return. Uh, maybe more than that. But, uh, I knew it was going to come and just had to be patient and had to stay locked in, you know. You seemed like on that next return, like, man, you were hell-bent to make a huge play and make a big play, and you got a 53-yard return. Tell us about what you saw when you caught the ball, and what was the – was it a middle return, a right return? It was a middle return. Uh, what is the key on that one? Is it make the first guy miss? I mean, what's your mindset as soon as you catch it? Find a seam. Find a seam. Read, read it, find a seam. Uh, try to stretch the D. Uh, I forget already how, because we're on a new, new team, how uh, if they backdoor a lot or they uh, rip by. But uh, overall, I mean, I'm off film tape by Reed, who I know who's going to have a hole for me, who's not going to have a hole for me. Uh, if it's not there, I know my next step from there. But overall, I mean, the middle return, do my thing. Yeah, and you busted a big one there. How good did that feel at the end of that play? I mean, did you feel like, oh, take a deep breath. Now I'm really in the game. I've I've had a nah, negative play, but I've had a huge play. I was mad about that one too. I was trying to score, but uh, the defense uh, played it well. I, I, I think the the one, the L one or something, came off, and uh, he was upfield already. So I kind of trying to see how I want to do it, but uh, I was pending the sideline, so the only thing I had to do was get out of bounds. But uh. I was, I was excited about it. it was a big play, but I was still like, damn, I should scold or three plays or a few plays later before I still dropped the punt. You know, in my mind, it's nothing. people probably forgot about it, but because of play, but me, I wasn't. You know, every day I, I work on that. So for me, I took pride in that. And I told Snyder, he kind of cursed me out about it. Cause I was like, I said, damn, I said, yeah, we won. I said, we won the NFC Championship, but I said, 
And I feel like my night got messed up at that point. He said, for what? It was like, you don't take your ass on ass, whatever. But overall, man, I just take pride in that, man. Not turning the ball over this year, and uh, 4-1. Happens, but to the best of us, but. How, how hard is this game mentally as far as, and we know physically you guys pay a price, right? But mentally, nobody ever really talks about how difficult football is for the players mentally. Is it difficult to bounce back and to keep preparing new opponents and all these factors that come in every week? How difficult, what kind of I challenges? Mean, I think it comes with multiple challenges all on the field mentally. Yeah. Family issues, uh, body issues, uh, just normal life issues, and then including football, you know, uh, my up, up and down week, you know, and it's not a consistent week of that you want it to be. And, uh, and you go home, and sometimes that's, that, for me, that's my piece. Go play with my son, go play with my girl, just yeah. chill at home. Uh, but not everybody has that, you know. Uh, but coming to work every day, knowing what football brings to the table, uh, knowing something you love, but it's something like you got to do a lot of the don'ts so you can do it on Sundays. Like, some things you don't want to do, it's just you got to do it. So Sunday come, everything is easy. And uh, mentally, uh, you get tired. But that's what make that's what make the greats greats. So, you know, when the when the good get tired, you still going. That's what make you great. Cause a lot of good players in the league. Uh, but it's only four teams left. You're one of them. So. You guys are one of them. Talk about Philly. What, what, what do you you watch them a little bit on film? Now, when you when you watch film, you watch defensive film and you watch special team film, right? I just watch the game. Yeah, you watch the yeah. whole game. So you watch the giant game through all the way through. Yeah. What'd you think of them? I mean, they had a tremendous game. Oh, uh, definitely. Uh, Eagles is dominating, man, on all phases of the game right now. Special teams, uh, on, a, on a physical caliber, just offensively, offensive line, defensive line, the interiors, uh, they match up well against us. And, uh, so it's going to be a great game, uh, competitive game, two great teams going at it. So definitely a game to watch. You know, I heard Kerry Hyder saying a few minutes ago that, you know, for some guys, getting out on the road is kind of, I mean, it's obviously a challenge, but it's refreshing because it's like there's not as many distractions. You don't have people calling you. They don't have tickets. You don't have to deal with any of that crap. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I mean, how do you look at road games versus home games? You, to, does, is it is it a little simpler? Is it all football on the road compared to being at home? More of a business thing when you're on the road. Mm -hmm. More business oriented as a team. Just eating together, meetings together. Uh, nothing else to do. No families around. I mean, some families fly up, but overall, everybody just kind of watch football together or college games. College not right now, but uh, whatever on the TV at the time, uh, we sit around and watch games together, uh, uh, fellowship and all that. So makes it more of a business trip, wind down, go to war, you know. So rather than at home, come in Saturday, walk through, everybody go back home to their families. We meet again at night, you know. Uh, so it's a, it's a big difference. You're a veteran. You've played in every probably every stadium in the league. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. You, you haven't played in Philly yet? I haven't played in Philly. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say, in Philly on Sunday, you're going to have a bunch of scream and all kinds of obscenities at you. Does that, what does that do? Does that fire you up? Does it piss you off? Does it motivate you? Do you oh, yeah. block it out? I'll block it out. You block it out. Same thing on this little fumble thing. Block it out. Yeah. People going to be a fan today. Tomorrow be an enemy. And the next day be a fan again. So right. it's Right. So come with the game, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I understand that, you know, and so I'm 
to be honest, I actually dealt with that in college. Uh, uh, being going to Clemson, yeah. NC State, uh, South Carolina was probably the worst team we played with that. They had to stop the game for a little bit because they were throwing, they were so close, but they could, they could cuss at you, spit on you, throw stuff at you, and we scored a few, a lot of times. And they were throwing like wrapping oranges, and, and they were hitting us while we were scoring and throwing waters at us and stuff. How do you block that out? I mean, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, especially if it hits you or somebody yeah. spit on you, spit hits you. But I mean, it's a mental thing, man. You know, you gotta, you gotta see a bigger picture. Yeah. Um, obviously, you're looking at their defense. They got a big defensive line. They got Chauncey Gardner Johnson, Bradbury in the back end, uh, big time players. What does their defense specifically look like to you when you watch them? They jump out on tape, you know, uh, jump out. Team, screen team. Yeah. And they, they run sideline to sideline. They fast, you know. Uh, and like every other game, we got to execute. That's, that's our job, execute and uh, do our job, uh, play by play. And uh, the big play is going to come. And so we just got to stay consistent. Uh, and know who we're going against. You guys have a lot of confidence in this room. There's a swagger to this team. Do you sense that, or am I wrong when I say that? It starts with my coach, man. The way Kyle walk. You can tell really? the way he walk. He just he walk with a swagger. He walk with a certain confidence. Uh, naturally, just his personality. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it, it all spills down to our team. What is what is Kyle like with you guys? Because he seems very cool, very he's almost he's like almost seems like a player in some ways. Yes, very much so. He's definitely a coach, yeah. but in ways it's just when he's just around, definitely a player's coach. You know, uh, give you mo motivation, inspirational vibrations. And, uh, that's all you can ask for in a coach. You know, uh, every day we come out, even if he's having a bad day, you got to make sure he's around us, mm -hmm. having a good day, so we have a good day as a team. Uh, and that's part of being a leader. Last one for you. When you get get on the field pregame in Philly on Sunday, what do you what do you want to do? You want to field? You got a certain number of punts you want to field? Do you? I mean, how do you? How, what is your pregame field um, routine before you? You know, obviously you have things that you do here, music and whatnot. But on the field, what are you trying to do before the game? See, I, I watch the other teams punter. See how he's kicking. He's consistent. A number of uh, yards he's kicking. Uh, the type of kicks he's. I feel like he's starting to feel out like himself that he's liking. Or uh, win. Mm -hmm. Overall, other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm out there catching punts, warming my mind up. Not even my body, warming my mind up mentally. Play my game, my pace of the game. Uh, so, Are there any yeah. decisions you've got to make as far as, like, do you use a, a deeper cleat on a certain surface? You same cleats every week. Yeah. I'm, yeah. That's A, not only. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't yeah, make a difference. Yeah, it's not, yeah, unless it's storming, you know, you gotta change it up then, but it's gonna be cold. So. Yeah. Um, you know, Philly, Philly's, you know, gonna be raucous and the place is gonna be rocking, but you guys are playing for a Super Bowl here. The focus has gotta be intense. What do you do to get into that mindset to be like, man, this is, or, or do you not? Do you treat it like, do you treat it like week three? Or do you, do you, do you say to yourself, hey man, we win this game, we're going to the Super Bowl? Uh, I just feel like no other game. This is just another bite of the elephant to get to the big, the big dance. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's how you gotta look at it, but you know what it come with. Uh, you probably won't feel it after the game, or probably Monday after the game, whoever 
uh, something different, you know. But for me, shoot like every other game. And that's just how you got to go into the game. Preparing, preparation. Every, all year you're preparing for this game to get to the Super Bowl. And don't change anything. Just stay focused how you how we've been. Uh, we went on a run regular season. That's in the past. We were 2-0 in the postseason. Uh, now it's time to 1-0 this week. Yeah. That kid Turpin looked pretty good, huh? Yeah, he's dope. He's a good player, yeah. Do you know him at all? No, I don't know. Damn, he was explosive. Yeah. Well, hey, take one to the house this week, man. Yes, sir, God bless you, man. Appreciate yes, you. Brilliant stuff. So, Nick, Eagles this weekend. Saturday night, they manhandled the New York Giants. Just pulled them to pieces, decimated them. And, okay, we kind of always thought that this might be the team the Giants were. We always knew that that, that kind of strength and depth of the Eagles was was clearly there. And, and look, there's so much to be positive about with this Eagles team. It's an Eagles team that I, I like a lot. And the, the way that, that Harry Roseman's put the team together and the way he's managed to go and find himself so many bargains this offseason, CJ Gardner-Johnson, who had one of the best uh, kind of safety slash nickel corner blitzes I've seen in in ages in this game to force an interception, getting him for uh, for absolutely nothing, bringing in Limval Joseph and Dominican Sue when they couldn't stop the run earlier in the season for relative pennies for two guys with their experience as they have it, taking Hassan Reddick who uh, just was so poorly used in in both Phoenix and maybe to a lesser extent in the year between, but. Now he's in Philadelphia, might be one of the best free agent pickups of the year and probably deserves to be in that same all-pro conversation that we were having earlier with the pass rushes. Like, the defense has, has been put together beautifully. I think the reason I feel a, a modicum of positivity for this weekend is that they didn't have to do anything outside of structure. They didn't have to throw any wrinkles. They didn't have to bring varied pressures. They didn't have to, like, run these. And so... I just, the 49ers offense to start off on this side of the ball is just a different beast to anything else that they've faced in recent weeks. It is, yeah. And the, the Giants have done a lot of creative stuff in how they used Daniel Jones and got Saquon Barkley back going again, but they never really had a chance to to get to any of that. I was listening to the Bill Simmons kind of Monday NFL podcast. He does, it's heavily based around gambling, but they obviously do some football discussion as well. And he made a, a point that I kind of, kind of agree with and don't really think about that the Giants deferred the coin toss, and which is obviously you don't get that second four, you get the ball to start the second half. But if it was a game where the Giants needed the ball first, it was this. It was this one. You get points on the board, even if it's just a field goal. If you get if you get the chance to play with a bit of a lead against the Eagles, then you then you take it. I mean, I, and I kind of agree with him on that on that front because the Eagles got off to a fast start, and the Giants were just never in the game after that. And they just they don't have the horses even on offense or on defense. That, that, that linebacker core isn't equipped to deal with that offense on a regular on a regular on a regular basis with how multiple the, the Eagles' run game can be. And it would it became a, a race to bedtime for me. It's like can I, can I go to bed yet? Because I've got a newborn child, and I probably need to be awake at some point soon. Um, and the, and the answer quickly became yes. Um, but the Niners, are, I think they're, they're better equipped to causing problems on both sides of the ball. So we spoke about the linebacker core at depth. The Eagles do attack where the Niners are weakest on defense and kind of having that running quarterback. We've seen the Niners struggle with, with running quarterbacks in the past, so the Niners are going to have to be really, really disciplined and really be on their keys, which they were against the, Cow- the Cowboys, to be fair. And it's the Benjamin Solak on the ring, I like the key battle is what you've already pointed out there, the depth the Eagles have on the interior of that defensive line with Cox and, 
and Sue and Hargrave and, and Jordan Davis is back for the Eagles. And the Niners line in the first half against the Cowboys kind of got bored on the interior. It was better in the second half, particularly when Spencer Burford came in the rookie. I thought he played really well. So that's going to be the key battle if the, if the Niners can kind of at least hold serve on that interior and allow themselves to not have Purdy under duress every time he drops back and to be able to win kind of those, those blocks in the run game. Where the Eagles have been vulnerable in the past, you saw the, the commanders beat them on the road in the regular season with the run game, effectively, with Antonio Gibson. And the, uh, the other commander's running back name escaped me. but Brian Robinson. Brian Robinson, that's it, yeah. Brian, they, they attacked them with the run game on the ground and ran, ran the ball at them and were successful. And the Niners had the recipe to do that. We saw that in the second half against the Cowboys. So there's going to be a couple of really key battles, that, particularly in the trenches, that will end up deciding this game, I think. Yeah, I think that run game side of it is is huge. And look, as much as we thought that that was the one way the Giants could beat the Eagles was if they ran the ball well and if they also kind of stopped it on the other side of the ball and Dexter Lawrence and all those guys turned up and they didn't manage to do either. I, I fully expect the 49ers and how kind of varied their run often is how they can do so much out of different formations, how, you know, the, the Eagles, I get that they got those big guys up front, right? I get that they've they've re- they've improved the interior of their line with some experienced, talented guys. But this season, they have let up five yards of play to running backs. And they are kind of down in the, the lower reaches of, I think, 26th in DVOA against the run. And if you wait that to the second half of the season, it's not much better. It's not like it improved hugely with those guys in there, but it just improved enough to get by, which you've seen in previous years. You know, I can think of the 49ers team that went to that Super Bowl against the Chiefs. You felt like the secondary had improved just enough, probably wasn't championship caliber but had improved just enough to get by and they had everything else they needed to to get there it ended up being a thing that that torched them in the end i for me with what they do with yards after the catch with yards after contact as well and elijah mitchell when he came into that game and i know we, we want to see what state christian mccaffrey's calf is in as part of it but when elijah mitchell came into that game he looked brilliant and i just think that five yards a, a carry on the ground against an okay running team could be eight yards to carry on the ground against the 49ers and they could methodically pick you apart and mean that Brock Purdy doesn't have to do what he did against Jalen Hurts when they had a 42-41 game when they faced off with each other in college and have six total touchdowns like that's that that kind of game is just not gonna happen but I do I do believe that they can pick on a, an Eagles defense that as much as it is absolutely brilliant and probably better top to bottom I don't think the linebackers are as strong. And I do think that secondary is very turnover reliant. Maybe that ends up being the difference. We finally do see those plays picked. But I don't know. I'm I'm justifying what I think is... I think it's probably a top three defense in the NFL and a top and the number one defense on the other side. But I just... I do think that Carl Shanahan and the brilliance that he's shown and the way that he's coach this team up. I think it's been his best coaching performance on the offensive side of the ball in his career this season, considering all the changes at quarterback as well. And so I just fancy the 49ers to be able to do enough on that side of the ball and rely on that their defense will be able to do enough. You're completely right about Hurts. And, and look, how terrifying is it to see that, oh, he's coming into this game with an injured shoulder. So, you know, we don't know if he'll be able to rip the ball downfield. Oh, opening drive, 40-yard, bomb down the side to Devonta Smith. And he spoke to Peter King afterwards, and he said, you know, that's the first deep ball I've thrown in three weeks, not even in practice, which is fascinating. But it also showed that he threw a pretty bloody good deep ball, considering he's not practiced it for three weeks. 
And then he runs an RPO and almost invites contact with that shoulder and runs two guys over and picks up a first down two, three plays later. So, like, I, I do... The reason I'm still in my mind leaning Eagles is the quarterback, like, even as good as our defense is. But I just think with Warner, Alshair, and, and Greenlaw, as we've talked about, if they don't have any silly mistakes, I think they can handle facing a running quarterback. And then it's just, you know, this is a much better set of weapons than we saw last week. Dallas Goddard, I thought, was brilliant for the Eagles this past Saturday and has been so important since he's come back from injury. And we know what A.J. Brown can do. We know what Devonta Smith can do. We know what Miles Sanders can do. So I, in my, I think these are the two most complete teams in the NFL. Like, I really like, and maybe let's pick the AFC Championship game as well shortly. I really like the Bengals top to bottom as well. And I think the Chiefs, what they have as their highs, are so high that it can cover up everything else. But I think if you want to talk just like, if these two teams faced each other 10 times on a neutral field, I think it would end five and five. Whereas if either of them faced either of the AFC teams in the same situation, I think they'd go seven and three, eight and two. I really do. Oh, I don't know. I'm talking myself in circles, Nicholas. Pull me out of the hole. No, you, you've spelled it out perfectly with that um, 10 times there, but it's, it's a coin flip game for me. And I know I understand why the Eagles are favoured. They're at home. Um, but that line of uh, two and a half is normally a three-point swing for their home team. So if you, if you put it that way, the, it suggests that if you put it on a neutral field, they give the nine, they make the nine and a half point favourite. So <laughs> it kind of tells, it kind of, it kind of says to you that the, the, the Vegas doesn't know either. Um, that's how even match. And you're right; these are the two deepest teams in the NFL. And you're also right in your reason for confidence in that they can move the ball. And we've seen this Eagles, the eye-opening one, more more so than the Commanders, was when they beat the Packers quite soundly, but the Packers still scored quite a lot of points and had a lot of success moving the ball on the ground with a with a Shanahan-based offense with two running backs in in Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. And the Niners have two better running backs in Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell. I think Elijah Mitchell is absolutely key. Um, this this weekend, I thought it was excellent down the stretch. Particularly if it's close, he's really that guy who can run it in between the tackles and get extra yards after contact. Not that obviously CMC can do that as well, but he, he does so many other different things. It's it's the complement of Mitchell is so important to this um, to this running game. I think, and, and they'll run Debo as well. I'm sure. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You've got you've got three backs there, so it's a lot more. It's like you say, it's a lot more varied than what the Giants are able to throw. But as good as as good as Saquon Barkley is, but yeah, it's. It's a game everybody wanted to see. Everybody wanted to see because it is so star laden. and you can just list off name after name after name off on both sides of the ball, and maybe you give the Eagles the the, the slight edge in the trenches just because of sheer depth. Um, but the Niners and Carson have have a play call have play calls that can neutralize that. If that's probably where I'll give the Niners the edge. I think they've they've got the better play calls um, on both sides. Carson and Demico Ryan's, and they're going to have to cook up the best they've got to to win this game. Saw a very funny tweet earlier that was trending, by the way, where it had the Nick Sirianni giving it to the sideline, and somebody from a local uh, a local Philly radio was like, "Is there a better sports town in the world than Philadelphia?" And somebody replied saying, "Well, London has six Premier League teams, eight football <laughs> league teams: Twickenham, Wimbledon, Wembley, uh, like regular NFL games, regular MLB games, NBA." Like, just literally was like, "No, actually, London absolutely poos on everything you've just said." But uh, I like like Philly, Philly sports fans are fun and i'm yeah, sure that you know if we lose this weekend i uh you know i'm sure there'll be a party in arizona and it'll be great to see the eagles fans out there and, and uh, you know i'm not 
I'm not one. I'm not going into this like I did with either Seattle or Dallas, no. where I'm fretting about losing to a team that I don't like and don't think are as good as us. Yeah. I'd hate to have lost with those teams, not only because I have beef with Seattle and Dallas as a 49ers fan, but because I legitimately think the 49ers are better than both those teams. Yeah. yeah. This game feels incredibly even. And okay, if we got blown out, I'd be annoyed. But. You know, if we see a classic on Sunday in the eight o'clock window that comes down to a winning field goal, a single score, a moment of brilliance, a frustrating moment of of, of not brilliance, um, you know, a calamitous moment, whatever it might be, I can accept it because they're a brilliant team, yeah. and I'm sure that they will have brought it. Um, that being said, I feel like because I'm on a Niners podcast, I should pick the Niners. Yeah, there's a, there's um the phrase it's kind of an enjoyable arrogance to to the Syriani Eagles and and Philadelphia in general, but they've kind of backed it up. Like, well, they have backed it up because they're the number one seed, and they have backed it up in in baseball this year by going to the World Series. So when they back you up, you can you can it's perfectly acceptable, and I, I kind of enjoy it. Like I say, they're they're, they're a fun bunch. I have absolutely nothing against them, and I think it's like I say, it's repeat myself. It's a game we wanted to see for a reason because I think it it has that potential to go right down to the wire and be an absolute classic. And it's not like you know the 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 basketball team didn't go and get one of the best players in all of basketball this year to back up what could be a championship level team in James Harden either. So yeah, screw you, Philly. Uh, <laughs> um, look, uh, well, mate, yeah, I was just about to say maybe if the Giants had got Aaron Judge, we could be talking about San Francisco and the Bay Area in the same terms with the Warriors and everything as well. But. Yeah, we got. I think it's got to be three sports minimum you're dominant at to yeah. take it to that sort of level to to compete with Philly. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, look, I, I I earlier this week, so preseason, I picked a Niners Chiefs Super Bowl on a Talk Sport video that I've I dug out this week to look at other people's predictions. I'm not calling out Nat Coombs specifically, but it is uh, like he did pick Brady to do something <laughs> special again this year. And it just reminds you that you do tend to pick silly things at the beginning of the year sometimes that, you know, wash out. Yeah, at the beginning of this week, I said I thought it was going to be a Bengals Eagles Super Bowl when we did it in the immediate aftermath on the Monday. I'm kind of talking myself into the Niners. I think they're going to win like something ridiculous at like 23 21. It's going to be a classic. And then we go to Arizona, baby. Yeah, um, I have this image of some late defensive stop that's going to shred my nerves into oblivion. But I kind of have the, this, this image of them pulling it off. And this is the team that they're not going to be intimidated by what will be an exceptionally raucous Philadelphia crowd. If any team's going to stand up to that, any team's going to enjoy that. It's the Niners, and you've already heard kind of George Kittle and the like speaking about relishing that atmosphere, and they will. They'll play up to it, and they'll, they'll happily play the role of villains, and I think they'll stay in it right till the end. Because I'm a, a homer and because I think they do have the, the, the horses to, to do it. I think they, they, they'll pull it off and I think they'll be playing the Bengals in the Super Bowl because I'm not sure I can see the Chiefs overcoming Patrick Mahomes on Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes on one leg <laughs> for, for, for the second straight week. The Bengals are not the Jaguars as they proved so emphatically uh, last week. Um, p- pick Bills Niners at the start of the season. I think it's just a different team beginning with a B this, this, uh, on February the 12th. Got make it talk sport coverage. Uh, hosts is the Niners fan. The lead producer is a Bengals fan. That's going to end up being good fun if that's what ends up happening. Um, I fancy the Bengals as well this weekend against the Chiefs as much as, you know, the Chiefs at home. Again, very slight favourites. Again, they are a very talented team and I thought their defence stood up in a really big way against Jacksonville as well and stopped the run excellently and probably put in one of their best. Classic kind of Steve Spagnolo uh, January performance. 
But I do think that Joe Burrow is a guy who will handle the pressures thrown at them in a spectacular way. They're going to hopefully have both Kappa and Jonah Williams back. But actually, the scheming from Zach Taylor in the second half of the year, we did this on the Gridiron Show, so go and listen to the Gridiron Show. But both myself and uh, Simon Clancy apologised to Zach Taylor for our previous disdain towards him because not only has he proven himself to be a great leader with everything that happened with Damar Hamlin but the play calling in the run game in the second half of the year has been absolutely unreal that was what that was what stood out uh, largely in on Sunday was just Joe Mixon just running in in the snow the Bengals by, by far the team more prepared to run the ball down the throats in the snow and I, I I absolutely adore Joe Burrow. I'm still annoyed that they took away that that touchdown pass to Chase for, for reasons. I'm still I still don't fully understand. It was just too aesthetically pleasing. Thinking to shout out again, Mina Mina Kimes uh, tweeted at the time: "Rule of cool says you can't overturn that touchdown, but the refs don't subscribe to the rule of cool, unfortunately." If 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 that also means that Mina Kimes is a Dungeons and Dragons fan, <laughs> uh, I, I I I actually don't think I could meet her because I just it just be I'd be like, I, I I just. Regardless of who you are, uh, you're too cool to, for us to be friends. So sorry. Um, uh, only someone like a, me could think that being a Dragons fan makes you too cool. Uh, but that is very funny. Um, yeah, I I just the way they schemed up, and you said that about the Joe Mixon thing. I remember a playoff game twelve months ago where they just they pounded the outside zone on every run play, getting two and a half yards a run, and it clearly wasn't working. And Zach Taylor just had nothing else to go to. And I don't know what's happened in the last 12 months. I don't know what he studied during the offseason. I don't know what he spent his time doing. But that offense looks good now. And I fancy them to... I, I think I'd pick them even if Mahomes wasn't hobbled. Yeah. yeah but high ankle sprain, strain is not something that you should be playing a quarterback on, particularly when he's so spectacular out of the pocket, out of structure, uh, you know, off platform, those jumping ridiculous throws, those little tosses, and it's not going to be able to do any of that. So uh, Bengals 49ers Super Bowl for me as well. Yeah. God, that'd be a fun one. Yeah. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening, watching, engaging. We release additional content around the games at the weekends. Uh, we actually don't have the 49ers game on radio this weekend. Uh, it's on the other station. But you'll, if you want to join us on TalkSport for reaction from like 11 p.m. onwards as we give you the AFC Championship game on radio, we will talk plenty of Niners then as well, either way. Uh, and then, yeah, we're going to be out at the Super Bowl in two weeks' time. So less than that, 10 days or something like that, we fly out. So uh, we'll have loads of content for you from there as well. At UK Gridiron, at Gridiron. Check out the good stuff that the 49ers Faithful UK guys are doing as well. I've heard that there's a party in Leeds this weekend, but haven't had final confirmation yet. So I didn't want to talk about it until we knew all the details for certain. So sorry it's not made onto the podcast, guys. I don't think the venue's been confirmed yet. Um, been told on the on the on the down on the download to use that terrible phrase where, where it's supposed to be, but I don't think we can reveal that yet. Um, I don't think I'll be there because I have to. I think I have to do what I did last Sunday and watch the fourth quarter with a, a newborn baby on my shoulder. <laughs> it's, uh, so I don't think I'll be in attendance for that one, but I'm sure it'll be very well attended by the four and high notes faithful UK guys who always show up in great numbers. I'm terrified that if I had a baby on my shoulder when Alshair trucked. <laughs> 
Zeke Elliot like he yeah. was a newborn child himself, that uh, that baby would have ended up <laughs> clinging to the I ceiling. Can't, I can't stop laughing about that play. It's so <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we haven't broken it down, but if you want a fun breakdown of it, we did that on the Gridiron Show as well because it is farcical. Uh, thank you guys for listening, for watching all that good stuff. We really appreciate you. This has been Tales from the Bay. Bye.